Hello and welcome to Who Watches the World Cup with me, Dominic Archer and David Bryan. Hello, David. How are you doing this evening? Hello, Dom. I'm very good this afternoon. Thank you very much. Oh, you time-travelling bastard. So, we're getting straight into it today because in 50 minutes, Brazil are kicking off against Mexico and I don't want to miss a minute of that. That is, That's actually, I think, the knockout, uh, the knockout group that I'm most excited for because I don't want either of them to lose. So... Today our discussion is going to be on the teams that just didn't make it to the last 16. These are the, the titans of football who, you know, who sucked. Uh, we, we'll be talking, about, we've spoken already, Dave, about, about the different groups. So today let's speak about the, those who, who didn't even make it out of the groups. Um, I guess we should talk about the surprises. Who did you think was going to make it through to the next round that just never did? Well, let's start with a moment of silence for our fallen heroes from, from all over the globe. Mm. Human beings, them all. Anyway, so I think the main... <laughs> the, the, obviously, I think you can't look any further in terms of surprises than the Germans. Hallelujah! We, uh, hi, Germany. How's it? What's it like in Munich? Oh, um, I'm telling you, this is the best news I have ever heard. Uh, can you remember? I think when we talked about Group F, I'm sure I must have said something along the lines of, "I, I think Germany had lost to Mexico at that point when we recorded that episode." Yeah, and I think I said that it's just a blip. They're finding their feet. Germany know how to get it done. And quoting myself here, I believe I said they are the quintessential tournament team. Yes. Well, they let me down. <laughs> you know either what? that, either that, or I—that's all me. That was my cosmic power, phenomenal cosmic power, <laughs> uh, that caused this to happen. But they—it didn't happen for them, did it? I tell you what, uh, I am—I am—I was going to say not, but I am very prone to uh, to Schadenfreude and finding yes. find, finding happiness and joy. In the, the suffering of others. I love it. But with Germany, it's a bit of a double-edged sword in this case. Because I do really like the German national team. There are lots of players in that team that I love. Uh, like uh, Julian Draxler, I'm a big fan of. Hummels, I'm a big fan of. Neuer, I'm a big fan of. Tostergen, the other goalkeeper who didn't even make it on, I'm a big fan of. Goetze, who wasn't even there or anything. Marco Royce, I love Marco Royce. Like, the German team is full of players that I like, and I love the way that they play, the same way that I really like Belgium. I really love the German team. But when they lost to South Korea, it didn't matter that I love the German team and don't really care that much for the South Korean team. It was just... I think it was the, that feeling of the world has been upended, right? It that, is that, yeah. It's that feeling of of being like... God is dead. And, and, <laughs> and he was uh, German. And he was German. And I felt... I know we're not going to talk about this uh, uh, too much today. I felt the same way when Argentina went out. I felt the same way when, uh, when, when Portugal went out. Because these are the teams and the players that you are sure... Yeah, of course they're going to make it to at least the semis. So when they go out and Mexico goes through, when Sweden goes through... It's like, yes, the, the tournament is interesting now. It's exciting now because 
Germany, who stood a very good chance of winning it, are gone. And good on South Korea as well. Like, yeah, they, they only won one match at this tournament. But the match that they won is the best thing that they could have done. It's the best so. thing they, they may have ever done. The greatest yeah. moment in their, in their national football history. And one of my favourite moments from this tournament, if not, if not the, my favourite moment entirely. Not only when they went yeah. one nil up, but then when Man, Manuel Neuer is playing 60, 70 yards away from his own goal, playing at left wing, oh. which, you know, he's, you've got to try. I and mean, he's the sort of player that you yeah. get him in the box, at least. And anything could happen. He's so, such a presence there. But for him to be just hovering halfway between the, uh, the South Korean box and the, the halfway line, and then he tries yeah. to take somebody on. Yeah. And when, when the South Korean player nicked it off him and played it long and Sun was chasing after it, I was, I was up. I was on the edge of my seat. I was egging him on. And when he put it away, I was, it was exactly that moment of... There's a comedian called Tommy Tiernan, an Irish comedian, who um, one of his catchphrases from one of his stand-up specials was, the world is fucked! The world is <laughs> fucked! And that was exactly what was running through my mind. Like, how can this be happening? Football in itself is a very mysterious and hard to predict and um, very fluid sport in that even though paper tells you one thing, at the end of the day, it's a bunch of human beings on a, on a field of grass and anything can happen. People can be off their game. People can make mistakes. People can show up and play the best they've ever played. And this World Cup has shown just that in that there are moments where you think, well, yeah, sure, we're expecting that. Yeah, okay, maybe we're expecting that. But then this gift from the gods falls mm. from the sky, lands in Russia somewhere. Where was this played? <laughs> I, can't, I don't know. But it landed there and this gift from the heavens was handed to the world of football for football fans. And it and it just made it meant everything to me. I was more so. I mean, Schadenfreude is enjoyable in this particular instance, not only because it's a German word and it was yes. visited upon the Germans, but I was so happy for South Korea. Like we've talked before yes. about um, the underdog syndrome, where as a Western sports fans, we like to see the little guy do well. That that rocky storyline. Um, but yeah, for Korea to go and do that to, like you say, the favourites. And then they to, to go home, knowing they were going home anyway, to still show up and still give 100%, and then get to go home finishing third in the group, above Germany, who finished bottom of the group. That is amazing. goal difference. I mean, there were pictures of Sung Hyun Min after they uh, lost to Mexico, and were basically, you know, barring any mathematical surprises they were basically going to go out and he was in the changing room and he was crying you know that kind of crying where your diaphragm sort of gets sucked into your body because you can't catch your breath it's like that yeah. <laughs> like he was absolutely distraught and seeing that picture in parallel with the picture of him after he scored that second goal tears again sobbing again but with joy and with pride mm. and kissing the national badge on his chest oh, it was it was drama and emotion of the, the highest order that you, you, it couldn't be written. It was just magic. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. I think South Korea has never been as popular internationally as it was um, after that match as well. There was a, a big celebration across Mexico with, with Mexicans uh, giving wide acclaim to the South Koreans uh, online and thanking them. Because, again, if, if Germany won that game, then it looked like Mexico were 
were going out and that Germany, yeah, Germany was going... Yeah, Germany had won, yeah. Goal difference would yeah. have gone in, gone in Germany's favour over Mexico, yeah. Yeah. And they, so that... they were losing and they had lost 3-0. But that was kind of... Yeah. They'd left it out of their own hands. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of strange, actually, that no one has spoken about how good Sweden were in that match because the, the Sweden did, did amazingly. Um, but they're, as you're saying, just... The Mexicans could not have been more thankful to to South Korea. There was again. Then there were um, uh, accusations of racism, where the Mexicans thanked the South Koreans by pulling slanty eyes. Um, and, oh, that's a little yeah. Ooh. Yeah, and then then there are South Koreans who were saying, "Well, why would you thank us by by mocking us?" And then there are some who were saying, "I think really they're just you know they're trying to show us a sign of thanks." Maybe we shouldn't just call it out straight away as being attacking racism. They're celebrating us. They're not, you know, they're not demeaning us. I don't know which way that should be interpreted, but, um, yeah, you know, Mexico was the relations between Mexico and South Korea have never been as good as they are right now. <laughs> no doubt. That's a great picture but, of uh, outside the stadium, the Mexico Sweden game, wherever that was. After, outside the stadium, some Mexican fans found a South Korean fan. Maybe he couldn't get tickets for the South Korea game, and they they picked him up and were throwing him up in the air as if it was him, <laughs> as if it was this. It looked like a forty-five-year-old South Korean man had yeah. won, had put Mexico through to the knockout stages of the World Cup with yeah. that, the jubilation on those faces. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, just, it's so great for South Korea as well because they can go home victors. They like they only won one game, but the fact that they won it means you know South Korea gets to go home champions. Really, so far they are the champions of the World Cup so far but just what the hell happened to germany like we can talk about how good south korea were how what a great performance sweden put, put on against mexico but just what happened to the germans here i think what we saw was really uh, uh the old school realizing they can't keep up anymore um and that the, the old ways the old style is not what um wins games anymore um, it's very much a case of these old heads playing the way they've always played but football has changed football's passed them by a little bit and what they were relying on with the experience they had and of previous successes is not is not uh, relevant anymore so it's very much a case of old dogs limp home while the, the new dogs show us something new show us something different and it's just great to see football can still evolve and still change um, and it won't always be, you know, the the same old, same old. Mm. But it was they had some they there were odd odd decisions they made along the way. I think some of their their uh, squad selection raised some eyebrows. Um, their lineup selection raised some eyebrows. I mean, I know Thomas Muller is very much one of those um, older players, experienced players that's done it all before. Um, and maybe you would think they would rely on players like that, but then I know he didn't start. In the final game against South Korea, uh, they brought him on with about half an hour to play. But I think that maybe was a mistake. He's one of those players where we talked, I think, when we talked about Group F or other, I mentioned that their current centre forward, Timo Werner, has not really shown anything like his club form at this tournament um, as a uh, spiritual uh, successor to Miroslav Klose. He is not coming. He couldn't be further away, as opposed to closer 
to to, uh, what they expect from a German centre forward. Um, And so to to put him in at at the beginning of every game as their focal point, as their main goal threat, when he hasn't really shown, he hasn't really shown that he deserves it on the national level. Sure, he's done well for his club club team, RP Leipzig, but they're very much an up-and-coming team. He's kind of their star. Um, There isn't really anybody... Um, that can take their limelight off of him as their main goal scorer. But with the German team, like I said, it's full of so much quality and talent that you, I, I thought if it were me, I would have put my energies into the creative um, players. So you mentioned Julian Draxler. Uh, he, didn't, mm. he didn't get on the pitch for that uh, South Korea game. He was named on the bench. I'm not sure he started any, any of their three games. Um, uh, so when it came to wanting to create things, they kept Werner on. He never, he never, um, it was never substituted. And they never thought to try something different. And we even saw him popping up on left wing or right wing just to try and get some sort of, some sort of play because he was not not getting the service. And they end up have drifting out of position just to try and get a bit of the ball, which then leaves nobody up front. So if it were me, Muller would have been my centre forward choice. He's not your t- typical centre forward, and and squads gone by or Germany teams gone by. He's more often been played wide to support the likes of Miroslav closer. But with, in the absence of a proven goal scorer, I would have gone to him. I would have put that on him. But, you know, that's only, that's only my choice. And like I say, Draxler would have been more involved. Um, and I think the, in terms of the squad inclusion for the entire tournament, a lot of eyebrows are raised at the omission of Leroy Sane of Manchester City after the great season he's had. Um, and it was, it's mainly been reported that it was down to him or Julian Brand to make it into the squad Julian Brand was picked, but then he's only been used as a substitute. When you have Leroy Sane, who is good enough to be your starter and could have offered something different, and exactly what Germany didn't show throughout the group stages is that Leroy Sane kind of of attacking football where you go at people. Germany were just playing; they would they would uh, travel as far as the final third, and then it would be sideways. They'd go side to side between Özil and Royce and back to Cruz, and they would just pass and pass with no real penetration because the likes of Werner and Goretzka, who got played um, from the start against South Korea, are not that kind of player who's going to just go for broke and attack the defensive line. And a team like South Korea, you don't need to try and pass it around and pass it around and score the perfect goal. Just, just run at them. They haven't got the pace. They haven't got the skill to match these high-quality European players. And then when Germany bring on players, uh, another centre-forward, like Mario Gomez, a very dangerous player in the air, then just deliver crosses. Just get it wide, deliver crosses. And someone like Mario Gomez is going to beat those South Korean defenders more often than not. And that's not what they did. They didn't play to their strengths. They didn't play with any freedom. They seemed nervous and cagey. And fearful which again is something you don't we've not used to seeing from germany teams germany used to scaring people but i think after this tournament and throughout this rebuilding process that's undoubtedly going to going to follow um germany will not be as feared as as they always always have been really in world football yeah fearful definitely seems to be the right word at this point i think again as we like to do on on this podcast, uh, comparing the German national team to the German nation as a whole, there is a similar kind of atmosphere of of indecision, of 
kind of the the old school versus the new school and especially within within the political realm at the moment the the uh, the Reichstag the German government is almost on the point of collapse uh, at the moment we have the the German chancellor Angela Merkel is in a position whereby her entire coalition is threatening to come down uh, because it's all to do with with immigration and with migration. Uh, Angela Merkel is the head of the uh, kind of the Germans Germany's Christian Democrat Party, um, and the German government works on a form of a proportional representation whereby. It's lit- literal democracy. The the percentage of votes that your party gets dictates the the number of seats that, that they get in the parliament, which is not how the UK works. It's not how the how the US works at all. Um, but what this often means is there is no one party that gets fifty percent of the vote. So uh, you have to work with the other parties that get enough of a percentage. Basically, to have to form a government, you need to get over 50 percent for your coalition to to have any effect. But Angela Merkel's government now is in a state of crisis uh, due to immigration and due to migration, where uh, there there is a, a sister a sister party from Bavaria called the Christian Social Union, headed by this guy called Horst Seehofer, which (laughs) that's a name. name. That is a great name. It's a shame this guy appears to be a dick because his name <laughs> is just fantastic. Um, but Angela Merkel and Germany have been a big supporter or have been key, really, in the migrant crisis, which is a horrible phrase to use, migrant crisis, suggesting that these people who are fleeing for their lives are, you know, have formed a crisis within Europe. They are the ones who are in crisis. No, ever, anyway, anyway. Um, but Angela Merkel has been key in forming support within the EU for uh, housing these people. Germany has taken a large, um, a large brunt of these migrants that have that have been uh, have been coming in, and that has caused problems within uh, within her coalition. So uh, Merkel and and Seehofer are from different parties, but Seehofer, as the head of this other party, is saying. He is the interior minister as well, which is like a crazy important role for him to have. And he is saying that uh, he will resign from the from being interior minister and the Christian Social Union, his party, will remove themselves from the coalition um, over this issue of of migration. And if he does that, the entire coalition falls apart, which puts Angela Merkel in a difficult situation whereby either she has to give in and if she gives in it um doesn't just affect germany it affects the whole of europe because europe's uh, plan for dealing with migration is focused around what germany is willing to do and merkel has been vital in getting other countries to you know do their part basically um italy uh, italy elected a new uh, a new right wing president and he said, no, we don't want anything to do with it. So one of the things that Merkel has really struggled to achieve within the EU um, is to get a general consensus. Because the the political problem that the EU faces is that 
it is an economic union built around political divides. So we have a, a shared understanding of how our economy should work with, with free trade and the free movement of people. But then if you introduce an anti-EU government, it then threatens the uh, economic union. So a good example of this is with, with Italy's prime minister named uh, Giuseppe Conte. Again, mwah, beautiful Italian name. Hey, Giuseppe, and... <laughs> go uh, be the prime minister of Italia. Thank you, ins- thank you, Mario. Bit... <laughs> uh, Stereotypical, and... uh, insensitive Italian. No, no, no. Ac- ac- I th- accents as per side, but no, no. You, it was an impression of the plumber Mario. That was. It was nothing to do with Italians in general. So, and that's oh. the thing we're sticking to. So that's the story. Yeah. So Giuseppe Conte, he he's a populist in that the same vein as Trump and and all the others. And he comes into the EU and he says, Italy basically wants nothing to do with it. Because Italy has been um, has been very important within North African migration. Because a lot of the North African migrants come through countries like Libya. And the, the closest country to them in the Mediterranean is, uh, is Greece and, and Sicily. Um, uh, so not Greece, Italy. Italy and, um, and, and, uh, and you know, the island of Sicily being a being an Italian uh, Italian place. Uh, and so Giuseppe Conte, the Italian prime minister, uh, basically he walks into the EU and goes, you know, we're, we're done. Basically, we don't want anything to do with your, with your migration. Uh, we're going to veto it. Then he says, I'm a lawyer and, you know, you can't beat me, I'm a lawyer. So the Swedish prime minister, Stefan Lofen, uh laughs at him and says, yeah, well, I'm a welder. And the Bulgarian prime minister, Boyko Borisov, again, a fantastic name, goes, yeah, I'm a firefighter. And everyone just laughs this guy out, basically saying, you know, this this isn't, you know, this isn't the political game that you're expecting to play. You know, we have we have something greater to deal with here. So the French president Macron and Angela Merkel get a solid agreement from the EU except for what's called the Visegrad Group. This is a union of Eastern European countries, the the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, and Poland. These are the countries that always reject any kind of immigration policy. They're notoriously uh, right-wing and conservative. Um, They opt out, but Italy, uh, Italy stays in, basically. And so Angela Merkel crafts this European policy of what immigration is going to be. Well, how we're going to deal with these you know, 600,000 migrants. That's 600,000 to Italy alone. 600,000 people have washed ashore, basically, in Italy since, since 2014. And Merkel has crafted this, this policy. Okay, this is how we're going. This is what we're going to do. And she, but she takes it home and she has done she has had to do something that makes the Europeans happy and it makes the Germans happy. But if Horst Seehofer isn't on board, that whole thing falls apart. And Germany seems to be at this point where something to unite behind would be really useful right about now. You know, like they could really do with you know, something that gets the whole country together like, I don't know, a successful World Cup campaign. That would be something to bring every all of to bring the German people together, go, yeah, we've got these political divides, but our strength of, of what it means to be German is is symbolized um within the country. But instead, 
as the country is, you know, is falling apart from the inside, the same thing happens to the German national team. And, you know... Yeah, how about that? You know... Yeah, it's, 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 I think that's interesting that um, in terms of the national football team being a symbol of what it means to be German, they've... I've talked before about the German way and the German style of... Or, yeah, German style of football. The German teams have always had an air, the air of competency, consistency, organisation, strength, um, not being, uh, being unflappable... And it's always it's always been the way, and that's why I talked about them being the quintessential tournament team. Is that you know what to expect, you know how we all know mm. what German football is. So I think yeah, the German people would have loved to have been like, we can relax. Whatever's happening at home, at least we know what to expect from the from the the lads over in yeah. Russia. Um, so it's interesting that these things are paralleling, where these German nationals, these just citizens out there representing their people in in Russia are having a, a tough time, just like the people who are supposed to be representing them back at home. Yeah. And again, the German national team, not, I don't think to, not quite to the same extent as, as the French national team or, or the English national team, which does form um, a very unique image of the cultural identity of that country, especially when you look at the French team and you do the proportion of, of black players to white players. And you could say, well, this is a clear sign of, uh, you know of of France of the diversity of France and the same with with England as well where you look at the English national team and you go okay so it yes it is a European team but you can see there is a a cultural identity that goes beyond what you would imagine you know just the, the English national team to be you know they're not si- sipping tea and eating cucumber sandwiches <laughs> where the the German national team has uh, a similar, I think Mesut Ozil is is a perfect example where one of the previous migration issues that Germany has had to deal with is large Turkish immigration. There is a large Turkish population within Germany, and Mesut Ozil is the child of that. He is a mm. he is a, a German Turk. And He's not the only one then, in the squad either. There's uh, Ilke Dundagun and Sami Kadira. Yeah. I think are both of yeah. Turkish descent. Yeah, absolutely, and that is a sign that. The German national team. It, it's yes, you have Neuer and and yes, you have Marco Royce and these typical what we would imagine a German to be. But it is also more than that. And their midfield just well, their midfield didn't work this time anyway. But when it was working, it wouldn't have been the same without you know those players there, without that cultural heritage and identity that they have. So I think if we look into the future, thirty years, forty years. And we look at the way that European migration and migration from whether it be a, a Syrian refugee crisis or whether it be trying to tackle uh, human trafficking coming from from North Africa. We're going to see, you know, Syrian European players on, on the nationals, on the international stage. We're going to see, you know, Italian uh, African players, which we don't see that much of at the moment. But, you know, the times times will change I, I, I suppose Balotelli is, is an example of that yeah well he's a yeah he's an interesting example I think he was um, he was raised by Italian foster parents I, think, I don't want to take too many guesses but I think he was either abandoned or given up as a baby by his um, by his birth parents and raised by white Italian parents um, but I couldn't tell you where his um, lineage is from uh, but I do know there's Stefan Al-Shawari as well who's um, uh, his, I think his parents are Egyptian, 
and Swiss. I think Swiss Italian. Right. So, but if you're looking at the the football the football teams as some sort of representation of the the country's diversity, then yeah, Italy is is always been very Italian. Uh, it seems. Mm. Yeah, oh, Balotelli was he's the son of Ghanaian immigrants, and yeah, yeah and he was placed into into foster care. Yeah, when he was because he had health. He had health problems and the family couldn't afford to take care of him. That's yeah. sad. That's that's really sad. Okay, well, we, we've spoken about Germany now. and Oh, I should say, it is sad that, that Balotelli was put into foster care, but he is now one of the richest people in Italy. So I think he, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it's an example that while that, that beginning of the story is, is sad, hopefully he is, he is a symbol of, of how things can change and hopefully the yeah. way things will change in the future. So I wonder if his, he's a poster child for the Italian foster system. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's very true. So we we spoke before about about Poland going out and the shame of uh, of of Senegal going out. Are there any other teams uh, that you you feel worthy of mention here? I think there are yeah there are teams that you feel not maybe not hard done by because in the end of the day the results are the results and they were earned and especially with introduction in VAR in this tournament there aren't that many. Um, great controversies surrounding many of many of the results. VAR is there to iron these things out and goals should only be given for when they should be given by the law and etc. So I think the teams that have gone out, it's more just a case of of an um an emotional, compassionate response where you go, Oh, isn't that isn't that a shame that they were going home and that's they were yeah. they were nice. So Senegal were one where I really enjoyed watching them play. Um and their 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 African um, partners as well. I really enjoyed watching Nigeria play, especially in um, their last two games. Um, they didn't have enough for Croatia in their first game, um, obviously, but Croatia have proven to be one of the strongest teams in this tournament so far. But um, they managed to get through a tricky Iceland game and they really gave Argentina a run for their money in Argentina's yeah. last game. And if Argentina hadn't decided that they remembered how to play football in that last game, maybe we'd be seeing Nigeria in the knockout stages instead of Argentina. So it's kind of a it's kind of a shame to see them go. Um, I've talked about Korea. Um, other than that, I don't know. I think there's still some more to be said about uh, Serbia. We we did a whole episode, didn't we, about um, the controversial way in which uh, that group was winding down, particularly in the match between Serbia and Switzerland. Um, so there again, we're a strong team, and I think we could have seen either Serbia or Switzerland go through from that group um, if it wasn't for again Brazil kind of finding their feet in their last last group game and Costa Rica putting on a bit of a show in their last group game against against Switzerland um getting a draw there but um have you been following the the follow up to the that story involving uh, Granite Xhaka and Jordan Shaqiri's uh, controversial celebrations against uh, against Serbia Yeah well Serbia is an interesting one because again they started their tournament with a win um no one else in that group in Group E started with a win. Brazil drew against against Switzerland, but Serbia beat Costa Rica to start to start on the, to start well. Everything starts going downhill for Serbia after they concede that first goal, and the uh, the pro Kosovo pro Albania symbols come up, and yeah. after that, it's just all downhill from Serbia. They well, they lose both both the following games and they go out. Um, I think there is there has been a wide discussion about whether or not the uh, the Swiss players broke um, FIFA 
political rules. They were all three Swiss players were fined: Xhaka uh, and, and Shakiri and uh, Lichtsteiner. Lichtsteiner. Yeah, Stefan Lichtsteiner. Were, yeah. Yeah, they they were fined. They were fined by FIFA for for breaking uh, breaking their political rules. What's re- uh, really uh, really interesting about that um, is that as soon as those fines were announced, I have the amount of money that, that they were all expected to to pay over here somewhere. Where is I've it? Got, yeah, uh, Shakiri. Yeah, Jacko and Shakiri were fined ten thousand Swiss francs each. So that's what, around uh, seven and a half thousand pounds. And Lichsteiner was was fined almost four thousand pounds, but um, very quickly a GoFundMe page was set up by Swiss citizens to raise the the twenty five thousand dollars necessary to pay the FIFA fines. Really? So the, the the Swiss people came together and have raised. They've raised more than the twenty five thousand needed in uh, six days. They've raised twenty six thousand five hundred US dollars to to pay the FIFA fine against their against Shakiri and, and Jacker and Lipsteiner. Um the Swiss Federation Football Federation haven't have are yet to say whether or not they will accept that. They could very well refuse the GoFundMe because it's a charity donation. They could say no, these players need to be punished. Um the Swiss people cannot pay for the punishment of, of these players. Um, and in that case, the GoFundMe has said that the money will be donated to a Kosovo children's uh, charity, which I think these players would probably be happier with anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that that goes to show the, the impact that, that this has had. Um, Serbia were very quick to to call out against uh, against FIFA for a, a kind of political double standard. And Serbia themselves are now being fined by FIFA. Serbia's football federation was found uh, was fined twenty thousand Swiss francs for banners, uh, political and offensive banners that were shown during their their loss against Brazil. Um, so Serbia, this is the third, the third. Oh, sorry, the second time in three World Cup games the FIFA have find Serbia because of their fans. Serbian fans can't stop themselves from bringing in offensive political messages. So I guess really they got what they deserved, right? Like, if Serbian fans are consistently bringing in offensive political messages to their matches, they can't complain too much when someone else does it against them. Um, Sure, but it's not not the Serbian players' fault of how their fans behave. No, but I mean, it, I think there is, um, you know, like, like, as we were saying with the uh, with the way that the Jacker and Shakiri behaved, they didn't run up to the the Serbian players and insult them. They ran up to the Serbian fans, right? Um, but yes, I, I I understand what you're saying. The how the the players are not responsible, but the football association is, and I think the Serbian football yeah, association yeah, should 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 be trying to do better. Um, in, in regards to that, like if it's happening three times, you know, in three separate games, they've been fined if consistently. Um, uh, but they're they're not the only country for to be in in problems for this. The Russian Federation again was fined ten thousand Swiss francs for a, a, a discriminatory banner during the loss to Uruguay. That's that's not really a surprise. Russian fans are notoriously uh, 
offensive racist we could say and again the the mexican fans um through the, the mexican fans threw objects during the loss of the swim and so the objects. mexican football, yeah it, it doesn't say what it is Quote, but objects, objects were thrown oh dear um, not objects Mo- yeah morocco as well also were, were punished by fifa um because moroccan fans were throwing objects and the actual Moroccan uh, Federation president ran to the team's technical area during a game, trying to get trying to get the attention, which which breaks FIFA's rules. So there were uh, there were fines for that. That a rather large uh, fine, actually. Wow. Um, FIFA have been have been pretty uh, clamping down pretty hard on on this thing, this stuff over this tournament. Yeah, well, Morocco especially was sixty five thousand Swiss francs, uh, and the what? the Moroccan winger. Noradin Amarabat uh, was uh, he? I'm not sure what he did. Um, but he was the chap he, who um, was concussed in the first game, and then he was cleared to play in the second game as long as he wore a Petacek style uh, rugby right. skull cap thing. And then he really took it off partway through the game because presumably it was bothering him. So I don't know if it is related to that. Well, so supposedly um, uh, he looked at the the camera, the FIFA. You know the the VAR system. Oh, he's not um, supposed to be able to, uh, to. Yeah. Yeah. He made he made a rude comment at the television camera about the VAR. Um, oh, I see. So yeah. So I've, yeah. I, who knows? But this is the game that Morocco drew with Spain, right? Yeah, and that's a great, if great if, game if it them. wasn't yeah if it wasn't for the VAR, then Morocco would have won that game. So uh, Amrabat make looks to the television camera and and says something rude or lewd you could say all the ouds um <laughs> uh, about the var and and uh you know the um, uh, fifa are, are stamping down on it as you are saying so it will be uh it will be worth watching to see what uh what fifa does going further ahead into into the next game i mean most of the teams that you would consider uh that you would, who would be, you know, uh, who have a tendency to be offensive, perhaps, or whose fans are not used to being at these events, um, you they're they're mostly knocked out now. Anyway, I think it, it would be a surprise if French football fans are fined for you know for being offensive. It'd be very very rare, and I'd be very surprised if the Japanese get something like that against them. <laughs> yeah, um, judging by the behavior of the fans so far, they're staying behind to clean up the. Stadiums and whatnot—they're so sweet. Well, I'm—I'm I'm surprised actually that FIFA hasn't said something about that because you know one of the things that FIFA are infamous for are um, making money in any way that they can. For example, <laughs> yeah. FIFA FIFA has a deal with with Budweiser, and in the the 2014 World Cup, Brazil had a law where they said, look. Football violence is a problem within our country. One of the reasons that we have football violence is because people are drinking beer and getting drunk during the matches. So in for the grounds of public safety, we're no longer selling alcohol in football stadiums. So FIFA comes in for the World Cup and says, Budweiser is a sponsor. You have to sell Budweiser beer at your football stadiums during this World Cup. And Brazil budged. And despite the fact it was illegal to sell alcohol in the stadiums during the World Cup, beer was sold because FIFA wanted to make money off of Budweiser. And 
I would not have been surprised if FIFA also make money off of the cleaning of the stadium. And they would have been <laughs> just heartbroken that the Japanese... No, 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 Japanese fans. You make a mess so that we can clean it up and make all the money off of it. That wouldn't have surprised me. <laughs> I just feel sorry for World Cups that Budweiser is the, is the beer of choice. That's... I think you might as well just drink the tap water, to be honest. Poor, <laughs> poor I mean, football you know, fans in... who are forced to, to pay like 10 euros for a, a pint of American lager. Uh, <laughs> oh. Oh. But then, you know, it's beer. I think if you're not, maybe not the choosiest people, football fans, when it comes to beer. Because, I mean, plenty of countries still don't allow um, beer to be sold at sporting events. Uh, around the world so maybe some a lot of these fans are coming to Russia be like holy crap we get to drink beer I don't care what it yeah. is get it in me yeah yeah I think I think you're right and that it is quite incredible I know you spoke in the previous episode about the way the Russian the Russians have uh, set it up to to ensure that the rival fans don't bump into each other after a match to, to try and negate those kind of uh, the, the football violence that might happen but it's yeah. a real shame that, that FIFA you know, of all the things to... Anyway, we could do a separate episode about FIFA. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, we, I think we could. But yeah, yeah, Personally, I don't see, really see why um, fans need to drink beer to enjoy football. Um, it seems like a bit of a risk. People like beer, so like you say, so FIFA can make a lot of money off of it. But it's just one of these um, things that can go very badly very quickly. One or two yeah. beers at a football match, you're having a good time. Three or four or five beers at a football match, maybe you're going to do something that you uh, normally wouldn't do, and that's when yeah. when problems arise. But uh, yeah, like I say, Russia have tried quite hard to uh, to keep fan problems to a minimum, and I certainly haven't heard many stories of uh, of fan trouble. Um, so maybe they maybe they even put a limit on how many beers you can buy or whatnot. But then they have those reusable cups and stuff, Budweiser cups I've seen on on tv Ugh. so maybe maybe you everyone gets one cup and uh, you get to fill it up <laughs> a limited number of times everyone gets a cup yeah. well every everyone gets a cup david except for germany those guys they are on the plane well there is a very short flight for them they're they're, they're already home if there's a world cup for segways dom you would be champion thank you I, thank you dave thank you you're very welcome it's sincere i mean it <laughs> oh well well, before I before I blush too much, uh, th- thank you for for listening to Who Watches the the World Cup. Our next episode, we will be talking about the the last sixteen and the results that happened there, the surprises, the 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 drama that has gone on in in these last sixteen knockout games. We've already seen some uh, some incredible results, uh, and. I'm 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 excited for the one for, as we're saying tonight for for Brazil Mexico kicks off in six minutes so we better wrap this up fast. Is there one that you are particularly interested in, Dave? Well, I think Brazil Mexico is pretty exciting. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, I, I think at this stage in in the tournament, they're all there's all so much at stake that each one of them could be exciting. I think if you're looking at it on paper, Switzerland versus Sweden is maybe the weaker uh, tie, but then we can end up seeing an absolute classic at this point in, in a World Cup tournament. So I'm not going to uh, put any of my eggs in any baskets and I'm just looking forward to every single one. Although I've just moved house and I haven't got the TV set up yet, so I don't know how I'm going to watch all these games. I better be ready for tomorrow, I suppose, with England. But uh, we'll um, 
keep your, keep your fingers crossed for me, please. Your prayers and well wishes are welcome. Well, I'll let you hobble to the pub. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, good luck to you, sir. And and good Thank luck to much. good luck to the people of both Brazil and Mexico because I'm rooting for both of you in, in, in the match to come. So thank you for listening to Who Watches the World Cup. Please uh, share it, leave a comment on, on the YouTube page, leave a like if you're feeling particularly generous. Uh, we're uh, a podcast with a, with a short lifespan. We'll, we'll be over in, in 13 days. So we'd like to get as many listeners uh, as we can before then. So thank you very much for your ears, and we will see you next time. Guten Tag. What? Fuck that. That is, that is the opposite of what you should be saying. <laughs> I know. I, I panicked. I couldn't think of the goodbye. What? Auf oh, oh, wait, 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 pause. Pause. Take two. Auf Wiedersehen. No, no. You know that that is not going to be edited. It's Guten Tag. Oh, please. And you could be happy. <laughs> guten Tag. What I actually thought was if I can't remember goodbye, I should say thank you. And I couldn't remember that either. But now I remember it's Dankeschön. As soon as it's over, it all comes back. It's typical. I, I flapped under the pressure. The pressure of having to speak German. My, my heart can't handle this.